0: Hey everybody, it is Trags Mike Petralia back with another playoff episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome back old friend Dan Horde, the one and only play-by-play voice of the Bengals Radio Network and uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Horde. There aren't really a lot of words. You're a better pro at this than I am certainly Dan. Oh. To put into words, what happened Sunday night with 12 minutes to go in the game? What happened
1: was the most memorable play in Cincinnati Bengals history. I don't think that's hyperbole. In the 55-year franchise's history, there have certainly been plays like that. But considering the magnitude, considering the outcome, considering the atmosphere at Pacor Stadium, I would rank the fumble in the jungle or. The Hubbard Yard Dash, whichever nickname you prefer, as the single greatest play in Cincinnati Bengals history. And that's saying something.
0: It is. And it's right there with the Stanford Jennings uh, kickoff return in Super Bowl 23. You asked an interesting question. And I had an immediate response to this uh, on Tuesday morning on Twitter. And that was Is that the most famous defensive play? in Bengals history. And you go back to last year's AFC championship game in Kansas City, the start of overtime, that Jesse Bates and Von Bell collaboration was a big one. And I would say before Sunday night, that would be the biggest defensive play in Bengal history. No? I would say Jermaine Pratt's
1: interception in the first playoff game against the Raiders only because of the catharsis that yes. it provided for Bengals fans. Three decades of French frustration without a playoff victory ending when he caught that ball from Derek Carr just outside the goal line. So for me, that would have ranked as the greatest defensive play in franchise history. And it's amazing to top it uh, almost exactly one year later, uh, yeah. running
0: to the same end zone. Right, and uh, what's also interesting about that—the way the game ended, Dan, um, with Jermaine Pratt—I believe it was on third down, second down, or third down uh, when the Ravens got to the uh, Bengals' 17-yard line. The throw over the middle, Pratt almost did it again.
1: He did. He got his right hand on the ball and. He's really had a knack for making big plays. I had the opportunity earlier today to visit with longtime defensive assistant Mark Duffner, who's coached linebackers for most of his NFL career. And he basically said Jermaine Pratt is the most unsung linebacker in the NFL. He deserves so much credit for how much he's improved from a guy who had played safety early in his career at NC State, really didn't know. All he was uh, doing, you know, to the extent that he does now early in his NFL career. And he studied so hard. He's such a student of the game and a really instinctual player. Boy, has he become good. And as great as Logan Wilson is, and I think that Logan Wilson is worthy of being a Pro Bowl player, Jermaine Pratt isn't much uh, off from the way that uh, Logan Wilson has performed this year.
0: Well, not only that, Dan, but on the fumble in the jungle, it was Pratt who stood up Huntley so that Logan could come over the top and knock the ball free. If Jermaine Pratt doesn't make that play, Huntley likely gets enough leverage, enough momentum to lean over and try to do what Trevor Lawrence did on Saturday night against the Chargers.
1: I agree with that. And the play that the Ravens ran didn't call for him to go up and over. He was getting pushed from behind by a couple of behemoths and was supposed to go low. So perhaps the fact that Jermaine Pratt met him uh, was one of the reasons why Huntley decided to go up and try to extend the ball over the goal line from a distance where it was not easy to get there and gave Logan Wilson the
0: chance to punch it to Sam Hubbard. Uh, It's interesting after the game, I don't know if you saw the quote, you probably did, how John Harbaugh described that play Tyler Huntley to your point was supposed to burrow into the end zone I just I when I was writing the column after the game Dan I I read that and I'm like oh my god the sweet irony of of Harbaugh saying that just struck me in a very humorous way I agree with
1: you and it's been interesting you know some people have used that quote some people capitalized the B in Burrow as if he was trying to perform a Joe Burrow like move. And I think John Harbaugh meant it with a smaller B, Burrow, as in an animal, you know, burrowing into the ground. Exactly. I think that's how he meant it. But it's interesting that the different reporters
0: took it different ways. Okay. I want to get into the uh, inside baseball, if you will, of your call with Lap, uh, of obviously uh, Sam Hubbard's 98 yard uh, fumble return for a touchdown. What goes through your mind when you see the ball pop free and how do you keep pace uh, or keep up with the pace of the play and try to describe everything accurately?
1: Well, I think if you listen to the call, I think we got the tone, right? I think the excitement level was right. As I listened back to the play, I would have liked to have provided a little more detail, especially on the punching of the ball by Logan Wilson. But when you're watching the play in the moment, You see the ball come free and aren't exactly sure how it happened and who is responsible for it. Uh, But in terms of kind of the inside baseball, you're just reacting uh, as honestly and emotionally as you can. You're trying to be descriptive. And uh, like I said, I think the tone was bright. If I had the chance to go over and do it again, which you never get as a play by play announcer, you get one shot at trying to get it right. I would have liked to have added a couple more details, but it is what it is.
0: So, here, here's what I loved about your call and why it was different than Mike Tarico, who, as you know, I, I asked Zach Taylor about that on Monday because that was the only play Zach Taylor went back and watched on the TV copy, uh, according to what Taylor said on Monday. But what I loved about your call was you alternating with lap, back to you, back to lap. It was perfect uh simpatico. i thought it was really really well done and really fit the moment for any bengal listening to that broadcast dan
1: well dave lapham deserves the credit for that because i'm describing what sam hubbard is doing and he had the timing to yeah. say the things that he said kind of in between my phrases so he's at the 40 go. He's at the 30. Woo. Whatever Batman like uh, exclamations that he added uh, to that call. But I think the timing was great. You know, we've been doing this together for 12 years now. He's got a good sense of my pacing and I, I certainly know his. So uh, I, I've been saying there was a little bit of a PB and J vibe there where you take two things that are a little bit different and you put them together and you get a good sandwich out of it. And I'm glad the way that's, that's the, uh, how it turned out.
0: What, what was your reaction when you, I'm sure you went back and, and listened to tariko's call on NBC? What, what did you think of that call?
1: Perfect. Absolutely spectacular. Again, the tone was just right, but I loved how he worked in Hometown Hero or the Cincinnati Kid, Cincinnati kid I guess play. is what he said for Sam Hubbard. Uh, The first thing he said that's a live ball I believe that was the expression that he used when the Bengals started running it back so I thought it was absolutely perfect. Um, You know Mike is a very good friend of mine I was two years ahead of him at Syracuse, so we worked together in student radio I am not the least bit surprised, uh, as I have said to him and others it's it's amazing one day you're in a campus bar hanging out with your friend, and uh, 10 or 20 years later he's one of the greatest to ever do it his ability to do any sport That's to host to do play-by-play you know he's one of those guys and this is very rare in sports casting or broadcasting in general nobody doesn't like Mike Tirico he might not be your favorite but I don't know anybody that says ah Tirico stinks if nothing else you respect Mike, you think that he's very, very good. Maybe there's somebody else whose style, you know, appeals to you a little bit more, if you like a you know, a really excitable Gus Johnson type or uh, Jim Nance with, you know, his kind of silky smooth uh, style. But like I said, everybody at least likes Mike Tirico, and
0: that is a very rare thing. What, what impresses me about Mike's ability on that play to get it as it's happening, People, I think, who are not in broadcasting, Dan, don't, and, and you certainly do appreciate this, the ability to describe it instantaneously is a gift, in in my humble opinion. I don't think that comes, uh, it's not always something that you can work on or practice. You either have that, the, the capturing of the moment as it happens, or you don't.
1: I think there's some truth to that. And Like I said earlier, you don't get an eraser. No. You get one chance to do it. Um You know, the really great announcers, you listen back to all those big moments and they nail it. I joke with Marty Brenneman uh, all the time. He had the most impressive streak of anybody in sports history in all those years. He never botched a big play. I mean, most of the great announcers at least one time over the years, there's a there's a fumble. There's some little detail that they get wrong. In Marty's case, I, I don't know any of the big plays that that he botched at all. And I think that's probably true of Mike Tirico as well.
0: All right, let's move on to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, uh, the obvious storyline this week, Dan, is going to be the rematch between the two teams who uh, clearly didn't finish their game on January 2nd at Paycor, uh, and DeMar Hamlin, his, I would call it, miraculous recovery from what happened on the field, 5.58 left in the first quarter. What do you think the tenor is going to be this week between the two teams? It's such a great topic because both of
1: these teams played division rivals last week in their first playoff game. And we know what that's like. You don't like that team. You spend 120 minutes during the regular season. Swap and blows. There are bound to be bad feelings. It's always nasty when they meet, whether it's the regular season or in a third game in the playoffs, as the Bengals game was last week, as the Bills game was against the Miami Dolphins. It mm-hmm. is completely different this week. These two teams bonded through a very traumatic experience and helped each other get through it. And now they meet in a game with extremely high stakes. There's nothing like that that I can even think of in sports history. Now, once the game begins, it's a game and it's going to be as competitive as any playoff game that you would imagine. But at least they go into it with a spirit of sportsmanship and camaraderie. And I've been wondering, Trags, what if Tamar Hamlin is there? Yeah, It's very possible he's home recovering and recuperating and rehabbing. I could certainly imagine him being out there for the uh, opening coin toss or something like that. If that happens, get me a box of Kleenex because I'm the type that cries pretty easily anyway. And uh, I imagine the tears will be flowing if he's out there to begin that game.
0: It will be uh, indeed an incredible moment. You're not going to hear uh, the Roquan Smith stuff coming from Baltimore like you did last week. It's going to be, the reason I asked why, What kind of tenor do you anticipate is I think it's going to be vastly different. And even Zach Taylor said on Monday, he acknowledged that uh, the bond that the city of Cincinnati and the city of Buffalo have is very unique. And, you know, as you well know, uh, this started in 2017, not just with Damar Hamlin, but, you know, the donation to the Andy Dalton charity when uh, or the Andy Dalton Foundation, when the Bengals helped get the Bills into the playoffs for the first time in forever uh, at the end of that year beating the Ravens, ironically, in Baltimore, did the Bengals. Um, I think it goes back to then, and I think it's just really enjoyable to watch two teams. Obviously, both have incredibly fierce, uh, loyal fan bases, as Luana Rumo pointed out on Monday, but both teams have a hunger to win their first-ever Super Bowl. It's just an incredible storyline to me.
1: It is. And I think the two fan bases kind of like the other, which is also unusual. I don't think we're going to see a lot of sniping back and forth uh, on social media this week between the two fan bases. You're obviously rooting for your team to win. There's no question about that. But I think there's a respect and even kind of a like going back to that Andy Dalton uh, New Year's Eve game in Baltimore between the Bengals and the Bills.
0: Most certainly. And uh, Dan, I want to get your opinion uh, as we wrap it up here on the Jungle Roar podcast uh, playoff edition, volume number two, uh, the offensive line. That's going to be the number one concern and the number one topic on every Bengals fan's mind. I think heading into this week, Uh, we've already seen uh, the ability of Hakeem Adeniji to fill in for Lyle Collins, who is gone for the year Week to week is what Zach Taylor called Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams. What do you make of what's going on with the offensive line and where does it stand?
1: It's a shame. They did exactly what they needed to do to fix it in the offseason with the three free agents and the drafting of Cordell Volson. And after a little bit of a shaky start in the first couple of weeks, That unit's played well, certainly top half of the NFL, I think better than that, probably top third of the NFL, which would put them in the top 10. And then to have three guys go down beginning in week 15 in consecutive games, tossing out the Buffalo game, which, you know, obviously didn't count. I don't know how you overcome it. I, I know some people are saying, well, even with a new left tackle, whether it's Jackson Carmen or somebody else. The offensive line is probably still as good as what they went to the the Super Bowl with last year. That might be true. I don't know. But what were we saying early in the year? This time, this line needs time to gel. It takes time on task reps together. This group isn't going to have that opportunity. I mean, they'll do it at practice, but that's very different from doing it in games. And it's a huge concern. If they pull this off with 60% of their starting offensive line missing, uh, build a statue to Frank Pollock and Joe Burrow and the rest of the team, because that is a incredibly difficult thing to try to do against the team as good as the Buffalo bills.
0: And I asked Zach this on Monday, Joe Burrow has to be his sixth offensive lineman in this game and going forward. I mean, he was to a degree in the playoffs last year. Um, you know, obviously he took 19 sacks. I believe it was uh, in the postseason. but he is really going to have to up his game in terms of reading pre-snap, anticipating pressures, I think a little more keenly, uh, and getting rid of the ball, as they say, Dan, on time.
1: He does that as well as just about anybody in the NFL, but I think the other element of what you're talking to is throwing it away more than he typically would. Uh, I think Joe has come a long way this year in knowing when to try to extend a play and when not to, but I think you've got to take that up a notch uh, with the battered offensive line. Some of those miraculous spins run backward, go forward, go sideline to sideline. He might have to uh, abandon that notion in this game and chuck it out of bounds just because there will be more pressure undoubtedly uh, in those situations where it's more than a a three-step drop and a quick throw.
0: What about running him out of the pocket more design by design?
1: They haven't done that that much in his three seasons. And I think there's a reason for that. I don't think that's what he likes to do the most. I think he prefers to have the full field read, you know, when you roll out, unless you're John Elway, it's awfully hard to throw way back to the left side of the field. If you're rolling to the right or vice versa. And I think Joe likes being able to scan the field, look at all of his targets, uh, look at the coverage and react appropriately. That's his strength. Uh, So. Because of the offensive line situation, I could see a few more rollouts, but I don't see that becoming uh, the primary way this team tries to throw the ball.
0: The one more thing that they have to do, they have to be able to run the ball when they need to run the ball.
1: They do. And, uh, you know, Buffalo isn't as good as Baltimore is. It's stopping the run. It was 2.8 yards per carry last week against the Ravens. It has to be better than that this week. The Bengals aren't going to suddenly morph from being a passing team into a running team passing is the key to why the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl last year and why they've won nine straight games going back to Halloween night this year. So uh, I would not suddenly expect them to, to run it two thirds of the time or anything like that. But when they do run it, they have to be more efficient than they've been in recent weeks.
0: I've told people, Dan, that if this game is close in the fourth quarter, I like the Bengals' chances. Think about this, Dan. They have been blown out in only one of their previous 17 games obviously they didn't complete the Buffalo game only one time were they non-competitive and to me that's a remarkable number
1: I agree with that and I do think it's going to be close in the fourth quarter so I hope your prediction comes true I think even with the offensive line situation the Bengals defense defense is good enough to keep them in any game Buffalo has obviously had a problem with turnovers in recent weeks I will knock on wood as a Bengals broadcaster and fan that that continues on Sunday at three o'clock because that's going to be a huge key. It always is. I think the Bengals are 11 and two this year when turnovers are even or in their favor. So they're awfully tough to beat when you give Joe Burrow an extra possession or two. And if the bills do that on Sunday, I do think there's a chance the Bengals can go in there and pull off the upset and who knows, maybe wind up back at home if if Jacksonville does them a favor and beats Kansas City.
0: He is Dan, who He does a remarkable job, an outstanding job uh, with the play-by-play assignment duties of the Cincinnati Bengals Radio Network, along with the one and only Dave Lapham. They are a great tandem. Love listening to them. And I will tell you this, Dano, I put you right there with Marty and Joe. You are right there. I'm not worthy.
1: I'm not worthy of that, Trags. I do appreciate the kind words. Look, trust I, me. I grew up with
0: Marty and Joe, and they are on the—they are the Mount Everest yes. of Cincinnati sports broadcasters and play-by. But you are, let's say, at the camp level, about uh, a thousand feet below them. You're—you you're, <laughs> you are very close to the pinnacle, my friend. Well, that is rarefied
1: air because they are the Mount Everest of Cincinnati broadcasting, never to be reached. But I do want to say this. On Saturday Night Live, when you host for a fifth time, they give you the blazer as a member of the Five Timers Club. I am now a three-timer on the Jungle Roar podcast, so I don't know if that gets you a a T-shirt or what, but
0: I am proud to have been your guest for the third time. I am having orange blazers with black stripes (laughs) made at the (laughs) Tailor. later probably next month when the uh, off offseason picks up and i have some time to do it i'm what what to- does it what does it take to get the blazers three times enough or will it be my fifth time five times all right five, five times time. i anybody look forward to being a five-timer five, you're getting a blazer no question about it <laughs> he is dan horde follow him on twitter at dan underscore horde follow him of course this sunday from orchard park That would be Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park as the Cincinnati Bengals play the Buffalo Bills 3 p.m. Eastern uh, in the AFC Divisional Round with a ticket to the AFC Championship for the winner. Dan, thanks as always for joining me. My pleasure, Trags. Let's enjoy some Buffalo Chicken Wings on Saturday night, all right? I cannot wait. He is Dan Horde. I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Jungle Roar Podcast. Of course, you can subscribe, click and subscribe on the link below on the Jungle Roar Podcast YouTube page. Until next week, I'm Mike Petralia for Dan Horde. Thanks for watching.